This is cold. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasure. be scared. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money. There's no other developed country with anything like the wealth of renewable energy resources that Australia has. It's the number one issue facing humanity, and it's the number one issue for me. If you cast your mind back, you might remember the scenes in Clermont in regional Queensland before the last election in 2019. Supporters of the Adani coal mine and local workers lined the main street to tell the visiting Stop Adani protesters in no uncertain terms to get out of town and turn off their power. We're not welcome here at all. And uh, advise them not to try and come in because they've only turned away. Well, since then, it seems the conversation has shifted in those regional areas with economic ties to the fossil fuel sectors. Many communities want a proper discussion about what an energy transition might mean for them and how to tap into the economic opportunities at a gathering pace. That's according to a new report, which is the result of a year's worth of conversations and big meetings around the country, bringing together local workers, civic leaders, unions, heavy industry and the energy sector. The report's author is the chief executive of the not-for-profit organisation The Next Economy, Dr Amanda Carl. And Amanda, welcome to Tackling Transitions. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little, if you would, about the work that The Next Economy has been doing in the coal and gas heartlands like central Queensland and the Hunter Valley and the Latrobe Valley. Yeah, so we've been asked in by mostly local government and industry to lead strategy sessions, community conversations, planning meetings around, you know, what's actually happening in the energy sector, how do they understand what's changing, but also how do they manage the risks around that as we phase out fossil fuels and expand renewables, and what are the new economic opportunities if we can actually manage change well. And are they replete with questions or are you really hitting sort of fallow ground? Uh, Things have changed a lot in the last 12 months. I would say probably 18 months ago, half the room were pretty hesitant and quiet um, when we'd start off. Like we always go because we're invited in by someone to have the conversation, but people were sort of saying, oh, we don't really need to talk about, you know, Coal's here to stay. Just tell us about renewable energy. But that really changed about, yeah, over tw- around 12 months ago because people started seeing a whole lot of risks on the horizon. They're seeing early closure of coal plants. They're seeing thermal coal mines approved but not uh, funded, even now with the coal price going up. Um, they're hearing from our trading partners that they're moving around away from fossil fuel imports from Australia. Um, but they're also seeing economic opportunities, so things like you know green hydrogen and green metals and all these things being talked about that use renewable energy. So I think that that combination of both risk but also seeing potential for new industries is making people kind of curious and ready to have that conversation. Do you think you've discovered in all your conversations uh, things that will have a bearing on the election outcome or is it still abstract? I think it's becoming pretty real for people on the ground in coal regions specifically. So it's it's sort of surprising some of the rhetoric we're hearing from the politicians that are still sort of in this denial phase. But on the ground, people know that things are changing. And it's it's interesting. They've kind of gone from denying that, that change or pretending it's not happening to now having different set of concerns. So they're worried about, 
you know, what if fossil fuels are phased out really quickly and we haven't prepared workers for the future? All those communities aren't helped to adapt. They're worried about missing out on economic opportunities. If we can't get our act together and build the infrastructure that we need, attract that investment, then we might not be able to build the replacement industries. And they're also worried about if we do succeed in building the new industries, are those booms also going to like impact on regions too? So people are still worried, but they accept that change is here now. And you've managed to bring people together, I understand, who'd not normally be in the same room. Was that tricky? Or was there, was there common ground? Yes, yeah, so we've always got a mix of people in the room, but probably the biggest example was last year, April last year in central Queensland. Uh, we brought together a mix of energy companies, both fossil fuel and renewables, heavy industry players, education institutions, seven unions, environment groups, traditional owners. Like We had everyone in the room and local governments and state governments as well. I've got to say people were pretty nervous in the, in the lead up to it. The reason we hosted the summit was because we've been hearing from all of those different players separately behind closed doors that things were changing fast. Um, they were worried about not being able to capture some of the economic opportunities and people saying we need to talk about this publicly. But every time I kind of asked them, I encouraged them to speak out, they said, oh, we can't do that. We can't be the ones to start the conversation. It's politically too risky. So we, as an ex-economy, said, well, why don't we as a neutral player just get everyone in the room? Will that make it safe to have the conversation? And people turned up. They were pretty nervous about it. But we had two days of really focused on what is the work we need to do. So it's very productive, practical conversation and focused on opportunities. Now, um, just to be really picky, because I think listeners will say, you're not a neutral player as such, are you? I mean, you very <laughs> much, you want to see this transition occur, don't you? Um, well, we're a regional economic development agency. So my heart is with the regional communities. Like I've worked all over the world. I know what happens when change happens suddenly and people aren't prepared for that. And I think as a country, we've got no excuse to manage this well. Like, we've got the technology, we know what we need to do, we've got very smart people, there are hundreds of thousands of jobs on offer here. But that's not a given if we can't get the management of it right. If we can't plan for this, if we can't bring people along, if we're not training them, then we won't capture those those opportunities. So my, if I'm biased, it's around making sure that we do development well and we set ourselves up for the future. What about bringing in capital? Because that's clearly, the more you read about it, the more you realise the opportunities are there, but the capital required is massive. Now, did you have those sorts of people in the room? Yeah, the biggest voices actually that have been arguing for policy certainty and weirdly regulation have been the industry players because they've seen the sort of chopping and changing at a federal level around policy, around climate change and energy for the last 10 years. And they've missed out. They've seen where they've missed out on some of that international investment that's looking at Australia going, are you really serious about, you know, decarbonising your economy and these industries? Are you a safe bet to put our money here? So there's a lot of money. There's like so much money internationally and in Australia as well. But whether it hits the ground to build those new industries and jobs, um, that depends on how we manage this moving forward. Um, I gather you had a no politicians rule, by the way. <laughs> for the summit, yes, we did last year in central Queensland, just because it was so people were so worried about the political risk of showing up and it was still very touchy and people just didn't want anyone to play political games with that. So 
um, the way we set it up was a workshop. It's like come and work out what is the work we need to do in central Queensland to manage change, both risks and opportunities. Um, so we had public servants in the room. We did have mayors um, and councillors in the room from the region, but we, yeah, we didn't invite state and federal politicians to that event. <laughs> and did you have bankers in the room? Uh, there were a couple of finance, um, like there was a Clean Energy Finance Corporation. There was a few investors in the in the room who were interested in renewable energy at that time. But it's been more recently that we've been getting contacted by major banks, um, financial institutions, also other investors who are saying, you know, there's some big industry opportunities, but how do we get money directly to the ground to the regions that, that need it? Where are the opportunities that are at a scale that we can actually get some returns on? So that's still a fairly recent conversation, um, but it's been helped a lot by groups like the Investor Group on Climate Change that have been doing that work behind the scenes with investors and saying, now's the time to move. So everybody clearly was ready. Once they got over their fear and scepticism, which was obviously quite real by the sound of you, um, they then decided they want to look more practically. Now, what did they say they wanted? So the sorts of things that keep coming up across all of the events that we've we've been running um, is people want energy security. So they want to see how are we going to ramp down fossil fuels and ramp up renewable energy in a way that we keep the lights on in the meantime. This can't be a sudden thing. People want to see what support is there for industry to adapt. So we're seeing big companies like Rio Tinto um, are doing the work to decarbonise their assets in places like Gladstone, the big alumina refineries. But what do we do about small businesses and small engineering firms in the supply chain? What sort of support is there? How do we diversify the economy, build on other sectors? Um, and how do we make sure that as things change, that the benefits of new industries actually go back to the communities as well and that the jobs that are created are local jobs, that there's local procurement opportunities, that that training is in the, in the region itself and it doesn't have a negative impact on existing services and things like housing as well, which we've seen in the past. Give us a sense, if you would, of some specific projects that might in effect transform a regional economy and are, are sort of realisable. If you look at a place like... Gladstone at the moment where there's a lot of work being done around developing the green hydrogen industry. So the sorts of things that people are talking about is, you know, what's the infrastructure that we need? So it's things like how do we help the port to adapt um, so that they can export hydrogen? Where is the water going to come from? Do we need to set up a desalination plant or our dam projects going to meet that need? What are the safety requirements? How are we going to train workers? What sort of skills do they need? Um, how do we make sure that the jobs are created, um, that, you know, the local university that also has um, the VET system attached to it is training and working with industry well to train local workers so that they're local jobs into the future? And can, can the region actually set up a fund to capture those um, the economic benefits or the profits that are generated through that industry so that it goes back into supporting services in the town? Mm. So that's the next level of work. But this is the challenge, yeah. This is such a big issue. Mm. This isn't just about energy. It's about how we power our entire economy. And so we need actually a lot more support from the federal government and, th and things like transition authorities that other countries have to be able to respond to the whole range of issues that regions are dealing with. Well, you do recommend a transition authority, don't you? Yeah, well, it makes sense. Um, if you look at other countries, they have a national body that is set up to support that planning and coordination and make sure the regions most affected receive the resources and expertise they need to manage that. They also have national plans and they have a lot more detailed targets than we have that are focused on 
2030? Because even if we're going to get to net zero by 2050, the work we need to do is in the next couple of years, really. Um, so it needs to be someone's job. At the moment, all of the different aspects of the transition are falling across different levels of government, different departments, different industries. So we really need someone to be in the position of going, okay, how are we going to manage this? It needs to be someone's job. Well, let's hope that this all bears fruit. Amanda, Dr. Amanda Carl, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Geraldine. And Amanda is the CEO of The Next Economy uh, and the author of the report, What Regions Need on the Path to Net Zero. And it's been pointed out to me that cost of living issues have hit this particular little booth. The bacon and egg sandwich is $6 this time. It was 5 in 2019. Coffees are now $4. <laughs> I don't know what they are around the whole of Australia, but um, it's just, just a little guide about some of the pressures in a place like this.